Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast, maybe even Vodcast. Again, we're recording these, but we don't actually know if they'll ever, ever see the light of day. This week, I am joined by Romain Dompnier, also known as Lettuce. Why do people call you Lettuce? I mean, the Romain part uh, is kind of self-explanatory, but then there's actually um, a story behind it that I worked in kitchens for a long time. Yeah. And when people go, oh, what's your name? And I'd point at I don't know if you have this in Europe, but Andy Boy lettuce, which is a purveyor of fine produce. Oh, heavens. And I used to always point it and they go, Andy, and I go, no, 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 lettuce. (laughs) And so, yeah, lettuce has stuck. See, if they were talking about it on the show of the week, but if they don't sell it a fresh slice, I don't know about it in terms of food. Got it. And I don't think they do lettuce on pizza. I was in there the other day and they were like, you should stop coming here so often. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your best customer. (laughs) Give us a break. But what do you put as far as veggies on pizza? I'm I'm, I'm for anything, man. Okay. Like I, didn't, I don't know, I just think, you know, the universe is a pretty big, expansive yeah. place. Worrying about what goes on pizza <laughs> seems quite trivial. So, Lettuce, mm-hmm. tell us about what your job is and how that interconnects with both Red Bull, Boombox and mountain biking, really. Yeah, I guess that that is the first question. How mm-hmm. did this guy talk his way onto the <laughs> Pink Bike vodcast? Um, yeah, so I, I'm fortunate enough to work for a company called Boombox, mm-hmm. which uh, if you're in the mountain bike space as a consumer or an audience member, you've actually probably experienced some of our, our content already. Um, notably, Fast Life, On Track, uh, Crankworks, um, and then this new show called Race Tapes, uh, yes. which we needed a snarky and insightfully jaded Englishman. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, Henry Quinney. Dude, you, so I did that Formula One podcast because you, you you follow Formula One a bit as well, hey? I do. Um, you even went to the Montreal race, I believe you were saying? Yeah, so we, we did some content actually with uh, with Red Bull for... Oh, so sick. Yeah. Because when I did that Formula One podcast, yeah. which was RIP, Levy got cold feet. I was having a great time. Yeah. But he was a bit like, oh, you know. Um, I just said that my love for Will Buxton doesn't run very deep. You mm-hmm. sent me a text like, I've Will buxton you so hard. Yeah, yeah. And this, it wasn't as bad as I was thinking because I'm not there just going, saying things like, you know, with the really like, you know, pregnant pauses, like yep. racing is, racing's magic, pause. Racing's life. Like, fuck off, Will. Yeah, the the <laughs> sucking of the teeth too. Have you noticed that? Oh, the, yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. But but you're now Bike Buxton, unfortunately. I'm, I'm, I'm not, afraid that's dude, the case. It's, I'm not saying that it's my greatest hour, but it's not. It's not as bad as I was expecting, Yeah, which is, which is, yeah, is a relief because I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think like racking my brains. What, it's the scene setting that I don't like yeah. because they put them up as the ultimate qualifier. Mm-hmm. So this is a drive to survive. We've gone off a bit of a tangent already, but this Netflix series, you probably watched about Formula One drivers and they have a couple of journalists and these journalists are always very smarmy, almost always British. Mm-hmm. And that's quite, a, that Van diagram is almost a total eclipse for what I offer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean... I- that's why we chose you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, working for Boombox, yep. like, so you've done loads of stuff for Red Bull. You've also done work with Pinkbike. We have, yeah. Do not talk about the pink the Pinkbike projects you've worked on? Um, so I actually personally haven't worked on a lot of them, but mm. uh, Pinkbike Academy, I think, would be the one most beloved from the comment section, right? Yes. Um, Let's talk about this. Yeah. How does Boombox feel about Pinkbike Academy? We we really enjoy making and watching Pink Bike Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because not being or not considering ourselves a core mountain bike mm-hmm. outlet, um, what we're trying to do is make mass appeal or make things that resonate with the core of mountain bikers, mm-hmm. um, but in a format or with a wrapper that that opens a wider kind of window into this world. Um, 
yeah, and so on. I think Pink Bike Academy is is one kind of vein in that um, that makes you know mountain bike more watchable. I think, and we'll you know we're getting already pretty deep, but the watching someone ride incredibly well with a helmet on is is has its place. Um, but that's not what we're good at, mm. particularly. What we're good at is making someone care about a person and then their riding obviously all of a sudden becomes more important. And I think that's an example of what happens in Pink Pike Academy is that you've got people who are, you know, potentially potentially contenders in enduro um, who all of a sudden you kind of start caring about how they're riding, Absolutely. which which is, you can't really do that in, in a shredded. No, and it's interesting that, I think a kind of a fun parallel is looking about film production and when they make sort of medieval films and they struggle because all the helmets have to be open face because they need you to care. Right. But that's not something you'd, you would if you're going into a battle with a thousand arrows flying yeah, towards no. you. You wouldn't be cared about getting your chiseled jawline out <laughs> right. there. You know what I mean? Um, but no, I think that's very true. And I think also with the mass, sort of, let's call it the mass consumed mm-hmm. Pink Bike Academy style of content. I think it's really interesting because I think, and not to, I'm just going to look directly at the camera here. Yeah. Not that I'm complaining too much about the commenters because I think the Pink Bike community is actually really, it's kind of a wild place, but yeah. it's got lots and lots of really great things as well. But I thought it's quite interesting because a lot of the time, uh, a fair criticism to level at mountain biking media, a very fair criticism, it is not actually very representative. It is load of white dudes, similar age, doing mm-hmm. the same thing. And actually, Pink Bike Academy is probably, in terms of mountain bike media, like big projects, it's probably one of the most yeah. diverse <laughs> representations. You know, I mean, I know I've got like, you know, I've spent a bit of time in South America and stuff like this. I've got friends who have tried to race from South America for flow to win a Chilean to win yeah. and get on a pro team. It was actually really, 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 really cool. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I think it gets a lot of stick, but also like, listen, I don't like Ed Sheeran, but he's not for me. I don't like the music of Taylor Swift and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily for me. You can't argue that it isn't made with skill or it's not made with care or it's not made for people to like it because people do like it. But not everything, I mean, it's shocking to say that I even acknowledge this, but not everything revolves around me. Yeah. Um, I think for Pink Bike Academy, the like let's acknowledge just the the enthusiasm of of the comment section on Pink mm-hmm. Bike. Like it's a it's a great community, right? So yeah. there's there's a lot of energy there. Um we don't particularly get wrapped up in it mm-hmm. a ton. Um simply because we don't have any control at that point. Yes, it's like it's out there. It's out there. Um but yeah, the the inclusiveness, I, I think also on my litmus test for any content we make is to show my spouse, who is uh, just beginning to enjoy mountain biking right. and who really doesn't have any of the ingrained biases in it. And then my, my in-laws mm. who really like, who know what a bicycle is, but who, you know, if, if they were to walk by um, a, an enduro trail in Europe, might not identify that as something you can go down on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Something like Pink Bike Academy um, I think is enjoyable for someone who lives in Squamish and who, you know, eats, breathes mountain biking and also for them. Hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think that in terms of, hmm, it, I think it came along at the right time as well, that pandemic sort of, I think a lot of the content that came out, you know, 2019 or 2020, 2021, the beginner content really, you saw the numbers swell, mm-hmm. like, you know, some how-to series really blew up that year as well. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it probably happened at the right time. Yeah. Lots of people were very curious with this new thing, mountain biking. 
Um, I think they've largely gone away back to golf and five-a-side mm-hmm. football, but it was nice while they were here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> I think a lot of them stayed. At least a lot of them are, let's say there were to be a mm-hmm. wide distribution mountain bike series. That initial kind of touch to the mountain bike world might pay dividends in, in keeping people attracted to it. Well, right. hey, if they're still here, the Pink Bike Journalism Tech Editorial Department with its elite gatekeeping yeah. isn't working hard enough. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. No, I mean, for sure. I mean, I think that also I think that series like that or not just Pink Bike Academy, but largely the things that let's look at Formula One. Formula One is a really good example. Sorry to I always talk about it, but it often is a good example. Or even the Premier League, maybe. The mass market subsidizes the... Because of the way the advertising works, Mm. if you get something that really blows up, like Drive to Survive, Formula One is in a far healthier state now than it was 10 years ago. And that might, you know, obviously it goes both ways. Like I'm not a fan of like maybe catering to that all the time, the blockbuster Mm. audience with the sprint races, which is obviously daft. But it's interesting because you think about how something like Pink Bike Academy or The Fast Life or or whatever, it does subsidize other projects, I believe anyway. And I think that it probably, you know, all ships rise on a high tide and it gives, it just keeps that, keeps the kind of the wheels turning. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if it, we can say that it directly subsidizes. I think mm-hmm. it's more, like you said, you know, uh, rising tide lifts all ships or yes. all boats. And the opposite of that would be, you know, three dudes in a bathtub and with evaporation it's getting progressively saltier and saltier, you know? Um, and like the, the tide certainly is a bit colder, mm. um, but it's, it does kind of have a lot of, of energy in it. And I'm not sure, sorry, what was the question that we're on? We're just, we're just kind of milling around. I mean, I think um, in terms of what... Oh, subsidizing. Yes. Yeah. So I think we probably what mountain biking needs and what in some ways we're trying to do is have, have, and it makes me throw up a bit in my mouth when I say it, but have the story come first, oh, right? Heavens, yeah. I know. Love it. What a pro. <laughs> but, but they, they don't give that mustache to yeah, this anyone. <laughs> no, they really don't. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, the, the killer app of Drive to Survive mm. is that all of a sudden from these robot looking helmets mm. that are around, you know, in a halo, in a, in a spaceship, essentially, mm those become the Daniel Ricardos and those become yes. people that, that are interesting, whether they win or lose. That's not something we have yet, particularly in, in mountain biking. Um, you're kind of only as good as you're riding. And so I think what, what we aim to do and which is why our content kind of looks a little bit different. Um, you know, Pink Bike Academy being an example is that it's, it's, we're trying to make someone care about the person. Mm. Right. And, right. and you, that you would, even follow them on Instagram, even if they were to drop out of racing tomorrow. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's that might be the the distinction. I think that touches on what you were saying about Drive to Survive. That it's I don't know if it's subsidized. It just has opened. Yeah, it's the, created revenue. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going to go to a very quick ad break, and yeah. then when we come back, I want to talk about the fast life. I think if we look back in the sort of history of these sort of highly quite glossy, mm-hmm. highly produced, quite glossy series, Curtis Keen back in the day, did a series called On Track, which was kind of maybe the first, the first foray into sort of a serialized look at, you know, I know, I mean, I think there was like Brandon Seven exceeded behind bars and there was some other stuff, but in terms of the highly produced stuff, I think that was hmm. maybe right there. How much, and then eventually went to Greg Gallahan. How much do you think that that laid the framework for future 
endeavours. Do you think that, because it was strange because in some ways, I think Curtis found himself in a really tricky position, similar actually probably to how um, uh, Pink Bike Privateer Adam Price found himself mm. in a similar position, where they made this series and then there's a lot of pressure that came with that. And I think it's quite, uh, could be quite a lonely place to be perhaps. Do you think that that human element really laid the good framework though for going on then with Greg and forward into... Um, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's, again, to go back to what I said, like you you cared about Curtis when he was coming 30th. Mm. Um, and that that became a compelling story all of a sudden. And and obviously Curtis is is can really, you know, carry a tune. Like he he is very good at letting us into his world. Um, but yeah, a lot of clients come to us and go, oh, well, what are we going to do? Our athlete isn't performing well. And oftentimes it's like, well, that no, that's great. That's that's a much better story, actually. Um, you might have experienced that on pink bike racing as well. Um, you know, the real stories definitely have a always lost moment. I, I do see what you mean about you don't want to pour a ton of resources into something that you're that you you're not sure kind of if there is the potential of winning, um, which you know is is tricky. But that's that sport. Like there there is a moment where you go, okay, this might not have the the happy ending um but yeah those as far as production value i think those really set the stage for for what is happening not just from us but from a a lot of different production houses in in mountain biking and now going forward in a couple of days time we'll probably be out out by the time this podcast comes out you've got a big release coming out do you want to just talk about it yeah sure and explain the sort of the framework so race tapes is a six-part uh documentary series um, that is kind of the successor to Fast Life. Um, you'll notice Fast Life had a lot of those drive to survive elements before drive to survive. We always kind of asterisk that. Do you think that, uh, do you th- maybe it's a small it. I world, mean, you never a, know? Yeah. I mean, the, the black background, neon look, and kind of that breaking the fourth wall, mm-hmm. um, where all of a sudden you kind of feel like you're part of the production of the show and that you're, you're getting something that maybe you're not quite supposed to be getting. Um, that you know, those were the the attributes of Fast Life that that made it what it is. Um, I I actually started working at Boombox because of On Track and Fast Life. Mm-hmm. I just knew like those were kind of the things that I wanted to make, and and I was lucky enough to to leverage some of that Fast Life magic into talking a lot of people into doing this new show called Race Tapes. Um, so why did the fa- why did Fast Life yeah. end and race tapes begin? What was there a was there something you wanted to do differently or yeah, open up a bit maybe? I I, th- I think Fast Life had kind of come to its natural conclusion of of following um, Kate Finn and Loic mm. in that we we knew those people and and now we knew and we cared and we needed more things to care about and so this this show is less about people going through a season. And more about types of mountain bikers that call, all converge at, at the World Cups um, and that are ve- kind of in totally different worlds. So essentially, we're starting at the World Cups and then going on these big tangents, both geographically and thematically, sometimes even into entirely different um, disciplines of cycling. Yeah. And also, it's, I mean, I think it's fair to say it's a lot more expansive in terms of sort of the ensemble. Yeah. It's not just Red Bull riders. There are some, obviously, the best riders in the world. A lot of them do have Red Bull helmets on. Yeah. But it is a lot more open. Well, th- I will say that um, both on track and Fast Life, um, you know, one of the the great things about Red Bull is that they're, they are also, you know, story driven and they're excited to have perspectives that, you know, are the best ones rather than just their um, own roster of of 
athletes. And so Fast Life and, and On Track had a lot of, you know, green M's on on helmets. Um, but yeah, so it, it it this series certainly is way broader into that that bike universe. I love the relationship between Monster and Red Bull. Yeah. I'm going to talk about some things that I can't prove. Okay. That are purely speculative and they're purely rumors that are probably unfounded. Okay. But I heard him, heard my friend, for instance, ride to Monster and he was saying that he knows a Monster athlete that got paid. They said, don't sign with Red Bull. We'll pay you to not sign with Red Bull. Sorry, this like non-Monster, like got don't it. have a helmet sponsor. I've, one time he was at a party and they were like, we really love you here. <laughs> This is pretty gnarly. I think it's like a it was a motocross party. Okay. And they were like, but you're not allowed to wear that hat in here. And he had to throw his hat out the window. <laughs> I Wild. love the I love the little tribalism. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like, you know, I think Red Bull I mean honestly, like I don't and this isn't to bag on I don't I mean Monster clearly has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I don't I've never seen anyone I've never seen anyone drink Monster. <laughs> Like doesn't Levy drink a ton of monster? Oh shit! Levy's the only person in the world. Yeah, but he bulk buys it from Costco like once a month and loads up the truck. Yeah, I mean, I I have a vested interest, but I think just the 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 branding of the it, branding. it like shows. I'm talking about the actual can, mm. the fact that Red Bull can go no no, raw aluminum, blue, red, yellow. That's mm. us, and that they don't need to go outside of that. Just speaks kind of volumes to it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, both both are huge companies, and we actually did pretty cool. You know, Monster supported Pink Bike mm-hmm. Academy that they, which which I thought was super cool. I mean, I'm someone that we're talking about. I only sleep for like three hours a night, nice. so me the thought of drinking caffeine <laughs> is just not even not even going to happen. Um, question, and feel yeah. free not to answer this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this last project you've done with Red Bull? Well, is it something of a swan song or is there plans to do something again next year? Obviously the, the rights have changed this year, going to Discovery. Yeah. Um, so part of of this show is the ability to to look at the wider cycling universe. And and there's people at Red Bull who are just really passionate about off-road cycling. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it it is it's not it's not the swan song. If, not the swan if song. That, yeah. Because the way that for people that may perhaps don't know um, for instance, when someone buys the rights to a race or a series, mm-hmm. they will naturally and very um, reasonably restrict media access to other brands, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not just a free-for-all that they happen to, and Discovery will probably restrict now, much in the same way that Red Bull did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you have to, that's why a lot of the teams, I mean, if we're talking, you know, sort of how it works is that when you have a UCI trade team pass, yep. you will get camera slots right. and then you can make content and it all has to go through a certain system i wondered to myself and i don't think this is, is pure speculation whether in a couple of years seeing how this discovery thing goes but if much like in formula one there was a, a red bull team mm-hmm. i wouldn't be surprised if a mountain biking in two or three years if there was just a red bull yeah i, I don't team. think it's as adversarial as as you, not you make it out to be but that mm-hmm. as as that analysis might suggest simply because everyone has a vested interest in these athletes being have getting exposure which is why you know the the landings have Red Bull or Monster logos and the helmet might not match. Mm. Um, and similarly, I would assume that Discovery has every interest in, you know, their racing series looking big and important and world-class. I think it's more adversarial than, I think okay. it is adversarial. <laughs> I think having worked with Red Bull on some stuff, yeah. like so speaking to Red Bull people, I used to work for Discovery. Mm-hmm. Dude, it is adversarial. It's yeah. very adversarial. Uh, 
yeah, we're, we kind of make the content. And, yeah, and no, fair, you're, not, you're not a Red Bull spokesperson, but yeah, some of it's quite, some of it shocked me. I'm going to really? Say, yeah, the adversarial okay. nature of it. Yeah, I haven't been um, exposed to that. But hey, I mean, that's that's just how it is. And it, yeah. it's actually probably good for mountain biking because it drives up the price, which then comes back into the race right. eventually. And I hope, you know, as as someone that, um, you know, knows the guys at GMBN, I really hope they have all the success this year because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there are a lot of things which seemed, I mean, I think Red Bull did a really great job for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love loved i think i think downhill mountain biking especially is a very strange place and things do need to change i'm not saying it doesn't conflict with a romantic sort of view of it right because i would love 100 people 120 people qualifying for a race yeah. and it just be oh my god this person you never heard of who's borrowed a yeah. bike and he's gonna go work in a pizzeria <laughs> later and he's just won a world cup like yeah i love that element but no lettuce on the pizza though right? <laughs> no lettuce on the pizza just damp yeah warm lettuce. <laughs> there you go. um but actually like not many people get paid outside yep. the the very you know upper echelon but that means that a lot of people incur to try and be in that conversation incur lots and lots of travel expenses to go to these races mm-hmm. so then teams come along and they have the pick of the bunch because they say you can either spend yeah. 20 grand on traveling around the world or you can just come with us for free mm-hmm. and so suddenly people are in a, such a poor position bargaining for high wages mm-hmm. um so i think pink bike by the way has done a really fantastic job with your state of the sport or the yep. Is that what it's called? That's the only real journalism I've ever done. Really? Yeah. I don't believe that. Dude, no, fucking it is. <laughs> but, Trust me, but, but it was brutal. But that's fodder for, for a lot of A, change, but B, just heightening stakes, mm. right? Like if as a story maker or whatever, to me, that's like, oh, all of a sudden, every like every interaction has importance. Um, the The balance of power really makes for compelling stories. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the first time we did a state of the sports survey, it was a guy called James Smirthwaite who used to work for Pink Bike. Mm-hmm. Now he's got a big time job with the BBC and he's actually doing genuine journalism. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, I always joke, I do think there are some real journalists at Pink Bike. Yep. I just happen to not be one of them, okay. which I'm okay with. <laughs> um, and basically, James, we're talking about this sort of idea of some kind of survey or some, talking about wages, mm-hmm. we're sort of t- talking numbers and, and they do it in the English cricket board. They do a survey like this. And he said, wouldn't it be cool if one day we did this? And I was like, dude, let's just give it a run. Mm-hmm. But I think for this second year, I didn't, like uh, that first year, James guided it so much. And I'm very eager. I'm very happy to help. I'm very happy to send the emails, do this. Mm-hmm. But I actually don't have that much. Um, Bandwidth it's, for yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's not my forte. I'm, I'm trying to learn, but it's mm-hmm. something I'm not very good at. And so the first year did run better because James, it's it's just how he preempted criticism, how he preempted discussion, how he preempted mm-hmm. points. Like, and I just, I did, I tried my hardest, but also it was only me doing it this year, which yeah. was brutal, brutal. Are you not a statistician in your spare time? Oh my God. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I don't know how, um, hmm. Well, you've got a ton of waking hours to yeah. put into it though. <laughs> Yeah, just, I've got a ton of waking hours, but I'm just never really feeling awake. Okay. But this is a really strange... Um, no, I'm not going to talk about okay. it. Okay. No, fuck it, I'm going to talk about <laughs> it. Basically, I um, I had some like, you know, losses in the family and stuff over Christmas, and it was quite a, a rough time. And all I was trying to do was get the state of the sports survey. And I was like, you know, deep in a hole, man. I was having a really horrible time. Just, you know, keep ticking through it, keep ticking through it. And then uh, subsequently, probably it suffered because of that as well. It probably wasn't as thought out because I was just... Not really, mm-hmm. not not working at my maximum. Although I was trying very hard. I remember I put that first article out 
and you know i didn't title it very well and i was just like wanted to get it out and it just got shat on from a great height mm-hmm. by a thousand people telling me that i'd done it wrong and i wasn't a statistician and what i was and honestly i just went and just wept for hours nice i put so much I'd, I'd put on the back burner so much grieving mm-hmm. to get this fucking survey done yeah and then it wasn't even very good and i wish i just said at the start <laughs> like I'm, I'm out my depth here but i think that when when you when you you know we spoke about it the other day but when you're desperately seeking distraction from pain it's funny mm-hmm. how work can sometimes yeah. be a really good distraction and i was just dude i was just like I was, I was working so slowly because I was just so miserable. Just like, you know, like index finger typing. Like, yeah. And then, full stop, cry. Yeah. <laughs> just tears onto the keyboard. It like, was yeah. Awful. But hey, we got it done. And next yeah. year, I think, I don't know if I'll do it, but I'll hopefully support whoever's doing it and, and, lend, mm. and help the way yeah. I can. Well, and not to draw a parallel, obviously, to your losses, but when, um, when we make shows, mm. there there is a moment where you've invested a lot into a storyline you've done and like it just doesn't you think it it might work in Mm. fact Um, but people are telling you that it doesn't and and that that can be really tough to work through in that you're like oh i'm i'm burning like personal matches to do this yeah and then like the two worst things in the world are two people who think they're doing each other a favor Or yeah. the worst thing in the world, rather. But yeah, yeah. and no, it's, the and, way and, to hell is paved in good intentions, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you kind of go like, "Oh wow, okay." So, you know, this is uh, like this was the ticket yeah. I thought was going to bring it, and it's not. And, and I think, especially with video, it's so video is probably the most rewarding, yeah, in format for me personally. But things get baked in so hard, and it's not like text where you can just nip back and just edit it, mm-hmm. or you know, like you got the foresight. You have to plan and you're yep. like, oh man, if I just said this or even just like added a pause here, it would have led onto this. And I imagine how much, I mean, it feels like quite a lot of mountain biking personalities now mm-hmm. are very comfortable. Yeah. But was was there any, well, not anyone particular, but were there some people you really had to coax it out of? Well, so this this was my first uh, mountain bike series of, of this kind of scale. Mm. So there's six episodes, you know, probably about 80 minutes total of, of quite fast paced produced, um, content and so i was baffled by what people what these athletes were willing to give us Mm. it seems like a lot of people in the mountain bike world are very yes and Mm. so i i previously worked uh at the tokyo and beijing olympics no way and so they those athletes they get paid properly for a start uh yeah not a lot of them have jobs (laughs) no they don't are you the common denominator if you work with lettuce you're not getting paid (laughs) yeah when you see me your career needs to change um no but there's there's a lot of yes ending um just like we had some really, really great moments with with Valley, with Jackson. Yes. Um, where they were willing to play along. And then I think that that's where, you know, I I meekly stand on the shoulders of giants at Fast Life, which is I, I had the that calling card. Mm. And production value does really translate into opportunity. And, you know, it didn't make it into the show, but G. Atherton rode a water bike in Lenzerheide for us. And when we originally pitched it, he was like, absolutely not. And then we did an interview. He saw that, you know, we wanted some real insight. We weren't asking them. A water bike. Hit me out. What's that? Uh, So it's... Like a pedalo? Yeah. With a duck? It's a catamaran with a... Oh, cool. With a 
I wasn't, sh- I wasn't sure if he meant because of his injury. You know how you do the treadmill running in water? Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. I was like, can you ride yeah. a bike? I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. Please carry um, on. <laughs> but like in front of the entire pit, right? Yeah. Um, yes. Did you see that? I didn't, but I know where the lake, I know the layout, yeah, okay. how exactly how it would be. Um, so just people who, who you know, Aaron Gwynn had quite a moment with us wearing scrubs. Yes. Um, so there's, I was, I was really baffled by how much access people in mountain biking were willing to give mm. and how much in, like truth, um, which isn't common to, ver- to athletes. Well, I think that there's a big thing where people oftentimes are desperate to set the record straight. Yeah. They're like, actually, you know what? I finally, because we don't really, I think we do a lot really well in mountain biking. And I think, is this fair to say? I think that what we've seen in the last five years has been, in terms of the media, mm-hmm. I think people like, I think of like Eddie Masters or Jack Moyer, yeah. you know, there's a lot more personality mm-hmm. and it's, you know, maybe, maybe it's because of social media, whatever. But I think that... <sighs> Sometimes there can be speculation, X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. why this happened, why it didn't. And sometimes people never actually get asked directly, why did that happen? Why didn't you win that race? Yeah. Why did that mistake happen? Why did your bike fail? Mm-hmm. And they're just desperate to actually say, oh, actually, yeah. this is what actually bloody well happened. Listen to me. This my, I'm going on record. You yeah. Know? And and I, I think, you know, not to toot our own horn, but Boombox has an editing style and a story style that is um, a little bit... Is it irreverent or irrever- irreverential? Irreverent, both work. Yeah. I'm um, a journalist. <laughs> in the sense that, that we want things to be a little bit, a little bit weird. We want things to be unexpected. Mm. And, you know, in the Olympic space, athletes get asked the same question over and over and over again. Which how is much GPO like, did you take? <laughs> more which like, arm do you yeah, shoot in? <laughs> you know, how, how does it feel to win a silver medal? at the 200 meter, you know, 200 meter IM. sucks. And, and it's kind of like, well, you're going to get an answer as good as that question. Mm. But, you know, if you ask Henry Quinney if, you know, what, what's the stereotype about road racers, all of a sudden you're going to get some, something more animated, right? Potentially. Yeah, yeah that comes up. <laughs> Potentially. And actually, I want to call you up on that. Yeah. Because there was a bit, and it's fair enough, I get further, yep. the narrative of the story. Sure. I get put under the bus a bit when I say that road cyclists, sorry, mountain bikers don't go back into road cycling and dominate. Yeah. The example that I was thinking so clearly, because before I believe we were talking about Nino Scherter. Yeah. And I believe he rode the Tour of Swiss yeah. about 10 years ago and he didn't do particularly well. Yeah. And that's the headspace I was in. But then obviously you think don't, of- Don't let the truth get in the way of getting you think of, you know, Pauline Frampereau, Yolanda Neff, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah. And, you know- I'm happy to say that I... I'm afraid you're you're really a puzzle piece in this puzzle story. <laughs> I, I think it's only really one episode I'm in, though. No. The episode, I was in number one. Yeah. Talking a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And then I was just... You're in three episodes. Yeah, I just, but I'm only there, like, popping my head in. Yeah. You know, just swinging about. But it was good fun. Yeah. I think... You're the Woolbuxton of phrase tapes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, please. And next time, do you know what? If we ever do anything like that yeah. again, and I ever get roped in front of a camera, yeah. I'm going to deliberately go full Buxton. Yeah. Just, just, I want to, I want to, I want to do the wheel bucks into the oh, camera now we'll for the, the vodcast people. Just like, it's like, well, the thing about Val de Sol is the Italians, no passion, the Italians, no pain. And on a track, this tape, you're going to experience both. And then longfully look into the camera. Uh, awful. <laughs> That's really good. Awful. <laughs> awful. Ugh. I think we're talking about in the podcast, but you know, we all have our on-screen presence, on-screen persona mm. and although that in, largely inhabits a place that I am anyway, who I am. But the things that irritate you most mm-hmm. are the things that 
the things that you see in yourself and you don't like. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. that's the things I see in real books. And I just see all the things I don't like. And it is so painful. I can't, that's why I can't watch Drive to Survive largely. Mm-hmm. Just because I just, and there's the other lady that, who I believe is actually quite ill recently. The female from oh, the one British yeah, journalist. Not aware. Um, but yeah. Have you watched uh, other box to box content? No. So like the full, they're, oh go, they're golf. No. They're, they're coming out with. Uh, oh, I tried to watch one. the football one um, on Amazon. Um, they followed Manchester City. They followed Arsenal. Okay. Um, and it was okay, but it was a bit too Hollywood yeah. for me. So um, m- maybe that's where kind of race tapes plugs in mm-hmm. simply because you might've noticed how weird it is. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I, what I, did, out of curiosity, what, what, tell me what, like what you thought about watching the show. Were you surprised by anything? Um, I liked the irreverent tone. Okay. The irreverential tone. Nice. <laughs> I like the puppets. I like the fact that it broke up because I think that we, we speak about this a lot in video, although, you know, we're probably a bit of a smaller operation than, than Boombox, or we mm-hmm. certainly are. But videos should have a sawtooth cadence of interest. Yeah. And you peak someone's interest and then you offload information. And you peak someone's interest and you offload information. And I think it did that really well because I think that I always think when you go for a video that's 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. you're going directly against Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. And you think how much interest that might peak. It's a lot. Yeah. You watch an episode of The Simpsons and they have an A and a B story and you see so many scenes and the pacing's just incredible. And you think, how much did I just watch in 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. In mountain biking media, you know, or basically just lower budget media, we tend to just, we tend to find the piece of driftwood in the storm. Mm-hmm. And we're like, this is going to save me. <laughs> and then we're there 15 minutes later going, the thing with a low bottom bracket height, right. you <laughs> might find different to a slightly higher or even medium height bottom bracket. And you're just there like, dude, get in like smash and grab get in get out and i thought watching um watching the series it really was so efficient i think maybe i've watched it more someone that tries to make videos than someone Mm. that necessarily just just a just a viewer but i thought wow the pacing on this is really quite excellent and the amount of information offloaded and the amount of story was really quite remarkable i'm glad um you you just glanced over the fact that there were puppets though i think people might be (laughs) oh yeah there were puppets um were you, was it hands or? No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, very, very, very good. Um, it was a quite, quite similar to the pink bike racing <clears throat> series. <clears throat> in in what sense? <clears throat> uh, serialized mountain biking series about the highs and lows of youth talent progression, the the hurdles you might encounter that you're not expecting. Yeah. Different enough, different cast every time. Not enough though. Scottish people in your one. Ah. Uh, we had bonnie scottish people in i think we're gonna have plenty like, of scottish people in mountain bike media yeah. <laughs> coming very soon yeah right um yeah do you know who you should follow if you do another series sure. are you doing another series um you have to, to do it seen. off-site yeah and just yeah. like do it like with the fence in the background <laughs> just follow ronan dunround yeah he is affable mm-hmm. goes hard yeah. so passionate yeah handsome um, too handsome guy yeah rides so he's got such a committed style on the bike and he was so happy at that podium at snowshoe Mm -hmm. i actually teared up yeah i was like it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy because it wasn't like i don't know him i only knew him for that weekend i was so happy for him because he just he just wore his heart on his sleeve sorry i'm I'm thinking about rurid cunningham i think rurid cunningham yeah Mm. okay we're talking about another you're talking about ronan dunn ronan dunn continental yeah yeah, yeah. uh, nuke proof yeah uh good friends with jackson i believe yes yeah he he deserves a little, I don't yeah. know, I think people would find his, there's so many people, obviously amazing riders, amazing riders, and mm-hmm. they're very successful and they win the world's biggest races. But sometimes I think they're aware of what they have to lose. Mm-hmm. 
Ronan, at least in the time, the very brief time that I came across him and we pitted together once, he doesn't, he doesn't think like that. Mm-hmm. He seemed to be thinking, it's all on the table and I'm going to give it a good bloody go. Yeah. And that, there was something about his attitude that I just thought, this kid's the real deal. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's hit, had his career high. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll keep coming back for more. But I just thought, I, I loved that vulnerability of being like, I'm, that's it. Like, cause he qualified really high in snowshoe and everyone was like, well, you've flown pretty yeah. close to the sun now. You want to chill out? <laughs> and he was just like, no, no. going to yeah. give it a bloody good go. And um, I thought it was cool. Yeah. The, the athlete mentality required is sometimes kind of beyond what I can um, empathize with. Yes. But yeah, that, that idea of like, oh no, there's the higher the stakes, the higher the win. So let's go. Like I, I personally can't imagine what that's like. Before we go into this, yeah. I'm just going to pause for a very quick ad break and then Perfect. we're going to seamlessly hop back in. Perfect. So speaking to all these athletes, do you think it aided how open or perhaps even vulnerable they were because they knew the series was coming out after the season? If they, if it was coming out each race, maybe they wouldn't want anyone to know they were nervous or feeling a bit. So I think we bug them enough mm-hmm. that they, they let their guard down. I don't know how calculated um, the the timing of it was. I know a lot of athletes generally expect like a lead time or, or a turnaround time. That's much, much shorter than, oh than we're doing. So this is Tuesday now, so it'll be Thursday lunch. Right, but, but I think, you know, uh, filmers have been incentivized to like, hey, we go shoot this day, next week, it's on everyone's Instagram kind of thing. Yes. So I, I don't think athletes knew quite what they were getting into as far as like when this comes out. Um, but yeah, like I said, they were, they were open to, to a lot and we were, you know, miking them up constantly and kind of bothering them all the time. Um, which is, you know, to their, uh, great honor, how, how <laughs> patient they were. Um, so no, I, I think they, there's a lot of honesty in mountain biking, um, maybe more than you get credit for. No, I think there is a lot of, there is a lot of honesty <laughs> yeah. in mountain biking. Well, so here's, I mean, one example was, and, and there were some real revelations as far as like character just pe- people. Yeah. So Aaron Gwynn, in our first interview, I usually end all interviews with, what's something that that's misunderstood about you? Hmm. And, you know, he had given us a lot about ownership of his team, which is what his episode is about. And he said, you know, I don't think people understand how fun I am, right? And so you kind of get this newly likable... You know, I'm kind of imagining, obviously, scandal-free, but like a Tiger Woods kind of arc where it, <laughs> there was, you know, this... <laughs> what a... What, what? <laughs> so those were, those were Tiger's fun years. Yeah. It was just no, like, but, I can make this turn. I'm only going 70. Yeah. <laughs> More in the sense of you, you had this person who's, whose performance was, was everything. Yes. And then who became someone who you can root for when they're, when they're not winning. But do you not think with... Aaron Gwynn though, the way that he came into the sport, yeah, it must have been such, imagine being 21 years old or whatever mm-hmm. it was and just turning up to a new sport, mm-hmm. beating people yeah, and everyone probably kind of pumping up your tires a bit. It's, it's not like, I think say if you're out in a sport for the last 15 years mm-hmm. and you're racing the same people for week in, week out, going through, you know, under 13s all the way to, you know, junior world cups, there's sort of a, probably a, a kind of a closeness, like in the trenches together you get. Yeah. But you just come and you're just beating them. You probably are just like, yeah, I'm just going to beat them tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it, it probably was, a. I think he was, I think it always used to annoy me that he used to come in for a bit of slack because not all of us are rock stars. Mm-hmm. 
and most people you know like they, because you get such big personalities like Josh Bryceland mm-hmm. people say why are you all like him it's yeah. like well I'm not and you're not and the next person wouldn't be either mm-hmm. it's just I think we, like, it's really great to celebrate the characters but I think some of the maybe Jathan as well came in for a bit of being too serious and I just thought it was deeply unfair because we see such a narrow sh- snapshot in their life yeah. you know and and that's also the advantage and you you know doing more serialized things like like think bike racing that's that's where you get that understanding of who the person is under under the helmet mm-hmm. and i think that's what what we're going for i mean brooke brooke mcdonald was also a revolution for me in the sense that he was willing to say at the beginning of the season no i don't see a sports psychologist you know yes i've had this life-changing injury and I can kind of sort it out myself. And by the end, you know, his exit interview, he was like, this summer I'm working with a sports psychologist. <laughs> and so you you can kind of, like, people are willing to give you that. And you can, all of a sudden, when I look at the bulldog ride, I'm not seeing, you know, the the death grip in Monsenan going 70 or whatever. I see, you know, a guy who has his own problems who's kind of working on him. Yes, but I, I think that we can only... Like, for instance, we can only write about ourselves. We can. I think everything's autobiographical, and mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the time, I believe that riding, like you've got to get into such to be to go that fast on a bike, mm-hmm. the bandwidth you have to operate in is so narrow, and you have to be either so okay with being scared mm-hmm. or not fearing fear in the first place. But though that's a really small, when you're going that fast and taking that much risk, it's a very, very, very hard headspace to get into. I imagine. I I don't think they. I haven't been around World Cup racing that long, mm-hmm. but I don't think they get into that headspace consistently. Mm-hmm. I think they probably are quite scared. I, I, I don't think a lot of World Cup racers want to drop in on race day. I agree and I don't. I think okay. some people, I think, I think, for instance, and I don't know particularly well, I've only met him a couple of times, mm-hmm. you know, always, always been very chatty, but I think Loic Bruni is like really good. He's like a, mm-hmm. he's like an operator. He's like, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. This might be, and that's why I just so well at World Champs. He's, very comfortable at being very uncomfortable mm-hmm. um i think that someone like loris on his day is in that groove and he's just like a, he's like sounds really silly but it's almost like a, it does sound very silly but it, it all i always thought watching him ride and never really spoke to him or anything like this so it's completely unfounded but i always thought that he views it like a creative thing and when the music's sounding good he'll yeah. be the fastest and i've always thought amory is a warrior and he amory is going in there he he could be a boxer, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's he's like it's combat to him, yeah, and it's life and death, and he gets on a level of committal commitment that mm-hmm. is just seeing him warm up. I know I've, I've spoken about it before on podcasts, but it is one of the most amazing things I saw at the World Cups last year. He's shaking, he's shouting, mm-hmm. he's just, it's shamanic, yeah. It's like <laughs> he's just he's just taken. He just all the. All the bi- biography of mm-hmm. Amory Perion is melting away and he just becomes a human-shaped object that's mm-hmm. fucking fast on bikes and isn't scared. And I think that shows in his writing as well. Yeah. Um, so we're going to kind of start moving towards wrapping up. You've met all these high-flying racers. Mm-hmm. You met the cross-country. You met some road racers. Some well. road racers. Mm-hmm. Tom Kapidcock. Yep. You met some YouTubers. You met me and Seth, which I imagine was the highlight. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you met, obviously, the world's best downhillers. Was there any trait, even something like punctuality, that you thought the best guys had and the other ones didn't, or the best riders had and the other ones didn't, or, or something like that, or like a, a level of preparation or headspace? I wouldn't say preparation. Um, 
there is there's something about professional athletes in general, mm-hmm. especially truly elite ones of and I think you touched on this in fact in um in the mental episode uh of of race tapes but there there is a a way that they hold themselves that you kind of understand that they have they they they're most comfortable in a different setting um and so you know like a lawyer greenland who is truly one of the most eloquent mountain bike racers i've ever encountered but very like they're they're kind of nonplussed it's as if like okay i'm operating in this human world but i i i am most confident in this other place i i might not be explaining it as well but they're, they're just they're not they're not uh stressed by our problems i, I know <laughs> it's funny and this is going to sound kind of a bit of a tangent but growing up on a farm mm-hmm. it was amazing that i often think how confidence translates really interesting because certain people like i remember the one time i was probably like 10 years old and i was quite i'm quite chatty as you can imagine i've always been bullshitting for the last 30 mm-hmm. odd years you know and this other kid my my dad's friend's son came around and he was probably four and he was very very quiet but as soon as the animals came out he was just there like so confident mm-hmm. because that was like that was probably his yeah. realm that he did with his dad and i think that you know you see it with um I think you see it in so many areas. Like I've always thought it's quite funny. Like I know some people that are so reserved, but once they get on a bike, mm-hmm. they just actively like the, the almost like being sketchy or being like, yeah, like yeah. being a kind of master of their own fate. Um, so to wrap this up though, mm-hmm. what's something that's misunderstood about you? About me? Yeah. Or about your relationship with your work, perhaps. I'm just going to, I'm going to Aaron Gwynn this one. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the universal thing about making media and telling stories is that you really don't know how it's going to pan out. I think um, that finding insight on the moment, like with a person in an interview setting, um, people think that's preparation. Um, not to say it's it's innate, but more in the sense of, uh, yeah. So I had this moment with Nico Malawi, who, who is kind of one of the protagonists of our doing it yourself story. And he goes like, do you know a lot about mountain biking? And so this is what people don't know. I know very little about mountain biking. I know very little about filmmaking. Um, I, you're just going to Rick Rubin it. You just got good taste and that's, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But it's, yeah, it's that like, I, I am not an expert and that's, that's the advantage that I have. Um, and I think especially in mountain biking, expertise is sought after, um, name recognition is super sought after. And, um, I think those are really important to kind of know what you're talking about, but know what you're looking to talk about is probably like what, what people misunderstand about, about directing a a series. I do think you're right. I think it does really help to take a step back and go into it. Not so embedded perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I do like your callback though, from, what I was saying on, on interviews. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's because I was in the moment. There you was, go. It was innate. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the Pink Bike Podcast. Thanks for being part of the show, Henry. Oh, mate. Never again. That no, was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Right, we'll catch you next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers.